This year, the government says a record number of marine reserves will be created, but some environmentalists are debating whether it's a genuine step forward for conservation or nothing more than tokenism. But the government insists it's committed to preserving New Zealand's marine environment and last month announced proposals for its biggest one so far, a 10,000 hectare reserve off the coast of Kaikoura. The government says it wants to be a world leader in marine management, but protesters at the recent announcement of a marine reserve for Kaikoura aren't convinced. They say the introduction of more reserves is in clear contradiction to the government's continuing encouragement of oil and gas exploration. I'm Alison Hossein, and this insight looks at whether New Zealand is truly paving the way as a world leader in marine protection, or whether the reserves amount to little more than smoke and mirrors. I'm on board the vessel which the Department of Conservation researchers are using and they have been on for the last two weeks for their research of the Patterson Inlet Marine Reserve basing themselves from Stewart Island. And I'm with DOC's Marine Ecosystems Manager, Sean Cooper. So, Sean, can you tell us a bit about what you guys have been doing here? I think the idea behind um, the programme, which is called uh, the EI programme, the Ecological Integrity Programme, is to look at developing a range of indicators um, that we can use in our monitoring of marine reserves around the country. I think the easiest way to look at it is, is putting your fingers on the pulse of the marine environment um, and looking at the health of the marine environment around New Zealand um, and being able to compare sites that are that are pristine uh, versus sites that, that aren't. And, and the end product of that is that we will have a monitoring programme uh, that's consistent right across the country and we're able to tell quite a different story to what we've done in the past. The boat skipper, Ty Jenkinson, explains where we are. So we've left from Half Moon Bay, uh, which is the main village on Stewart Island, Oban, and come round into Patterson Inlet. And Patterson Inlet is a very large inlet running 16 kilometres into the middle of Stewart Island. Uh, and specifically we've come into an area um, called Sydney Cove and Sydney Cove is one of three of the different uh, full-blown marine reserves here within Patterson Inlet. As well as the marine reserves there's also the entire inlet area is what's known as a Matai Reserve and it's governed by uh, the Matai Trust. That body governs the, the daily limits for all species that are caught in here and more or less they've halved the limits for most of the species that are caught, blue cod's 10 rather than 20, which it is outside the inlet. Uh, powers are 5 rather than 10, which they are outside the inlet. The team's lead scientist, Debbie Freeman, deploys the team's underwater camera into the marine reserve, and then they wait. So we're using this battered underwater video system so that we don't need to put divers in the water. Um, and it's a you know, great way of actually rapidly surveying um, quite large areas for fish. So. What it comprises of is just a, um, a, basically a metal frame with a, a bait box and a video camera situated above it so that you can um, video the, the fish that are attracted to the bait. And we basically put it underwater for about half an hour and afterwards we'll analyse it to look at the, the species of fish that are attracted to the bait and their size and abundance. So today what would you be expecting to see on the camera? Um, so over the last few days we've been um, scuba diving throughout um, the marine reserve here and we found that blue cod are, are super abundant, <laughs> yeah, really abundant fish and quite a, a good size range, range of fish as well. The other species we'll probably see are things like spotties and banded wrasse, um, potentially carpet sharks, we've seen a few of those over the last few days. Yeah. Oh, oh, what's that? Carpet shark! Carpet shark. 
Well, we've just come ashore from the Department of Conservation research vessel and I'm now standing on Ulva Island, which is a bird sanctuary which borders the marine reserve. Just on the track here we've got South Island bush robin, uh, the Wai, and we've also got a wicker just turned up. Uh, if you scrabble around on the, in the leaf litter you can attract, especially the robins coming really close and I've had uh, a robin picking a freckle on my arm in, <laughs> in the past day, eh? they're really friendly and uh, yeah, they're not really scared of too much at all so it is yeah, kind of a problem in a way because they're just not used to predators and they, you know, if they are on a, in a place where there are predators, stoats and rats um, you can see that they're just pretty prone to um, getting predated uh, by all those sorts of things and the wicker are just in behind us here. They're after the same sort of thing. We saw one yesterday that was down on the beach, just just tossing seaweed aside, looking for all the sand hoppers. And um, yeah, it was, it was turning over quite a bit of stuff. Eh? Quite neat to watch. That was a Department of Conservation Marine Technical Advisor Don Neal. He has spent the night on Ulva Island tagging little blue penguins with his colleague, a Doc Science Advisor, Louise Shulvers. She says the relationship between marine reserves and their neighbouring land is crucial. We're looking at animals that cross over between land and sea, and so most of those are seabirds that feed in the sea but have to come to land to nest and breed. In. Um, and the two main ones we're looking at are little blue penguins because their distribution is the whole of New Zealand. You find them all the way from Cape Ranga to Stewart Island. Um, and especially during the breeding season, they have to have really short foraging trips, like they can only go out for one day. So if the environment that is immediately around where they're breeding is, is not good, they can't breed. So that makes them a really good indicator. Patterson Inlet, or Whakaatewera, is a shallow rear, an ancient river valley that has been submerged and provides one of the largest sheltered harbours in southern New Zealand. It is home to at least 56 species of fish and more varieties of seaweed than anywhere else in the country. It was established in 2004 and covers just over 1,000 hectares or about 15% of Patterson Inlet adjoining Ulva Island Bird Sanctuary. A resident on nearby Rakiura or Stewart Island, Margaret Hopkins, was on the Patterson Inlet Marine Protection Committee which ultimately led to the creation of this marine reserve. She admits it was an incredibly long and arduous process but says it was worth it to protect something so unique. We're really lucky. It's one of the probably the best um, rock-walled inlets in New Zealand that doesn't have runoff with sediment from farming or forestry or anything like that. And it's just so close to the, you know, to the township, and it's where everybody goes, where they do all their recreation. I was going to ask you about um, a lot of places around the country. You know, they're trying to get more marine reserves, and they're causing some controversy as as you say a lot of toing and froing over many years you've yeah. been through it what's your advice to other communities it was an interesting kind of exercise to go through the investigations began in 1991 and i think it took 13 years before we had the marine reserve so there was a lot of toing and froing and writing discussion documents and meeting with various interest groups it was quite interesting i think probably the most vocally opposing group were southern recreational fishers who didn't actually live here but they came here and saw it as 
as a place that they used for fishing and obviously didn't want that changed. Patterson Inlet Marine Reserve has a mataitai, which means tangata whenua are authorised to manage and control the recreational fishing within the area through a local committee. This management tool was created under the 1996 Fisheries Act to acknowledge the rights guaranteed to tangata whenua under the Treaty of Waitangi. The chairman of the mataitai committee, Philip Smith, believes the importance of customary food gathering to Māori must be central to any marine reserve decision. Well, I think that's something that, that the uh, Crown have to consider, you know, that the traditional rights of the uh, tangata whenua, you know, it's hard for them to relinquish an area that they've probably fished for the last two, three hundred years, you know. It's, it's, yeah, it's not easy to deal with. And um, if you look at the, um, our area here, originally the Department of Conservation probably would have quite liked to have had all of the inlet within it as a marine reserve. But anyway, we, we got round the table and dis discussed the issues and... Uh, finally got a compromise to where we are today. As it stands at the moment, New Zealand has 37 marine reserves, which are governed by the Marine Reserves Act, brought in more than 40 years ago in 1971. The first to be created was the Cape Rodney Okakari Point Marine Reserve, followed by the Poor Knights Islands. The government has promised a record number of marine reserves this year, and just a matter of weeks ago established three new ones in the sub-Antarctic, covering 435,000 hectares of ocean surrounding the Antipodes, Bounty and Campbell Islands. This new protected area is 13 times larger than the total area of all the reserves on New Zealand's three main islands, expanding the amount of protected territorial sea to 9.5%, nearing the target of 10% recommended by the United Nations. And just last month, a 10,000-hectare marine reserve was unveiled off the coast of Kaikoura, famous for whale-watching. The Hikurangi site will focus on the very deep waters of the Kaikoura Canyon, and no mining, fishing or harvesting of any kind will be permitted within its boundaries. A whale and fur sanctuary was also outlined in the proposals, as well as a restriction on commercial and recreational fishing in some clearly defined areas. The Conservation Minister, Nick Smith, says these measures would benefit Kaikoura's world-famous whales and dolphins, as well as seals, albatross and crayfish, helping to protect the area's $134 million per year tourism industry. But at the announcement of this latest proposed marine reserve, the Prime Minister and Dr Smith were met with protesters, who argue the move is in contradiction to other government policy. The lead protester, Maurice Manawatu, told Radio New Zealand the proposals don't make up for the government allowing the Pegasus Basin to be surveyed for deep-sea oil by the miner Anadarko. They're going to gift us a lemon, giving us this coastal management strategy, but putting the potential biggest risk, which is the oil drill, right beside it. And so we're here as kaitiaki, just to let John Key know, go somewhere else. But the Prime Minister John Key responded by saying that drilling and environmental work can happen in harmony. For instance in Taranaki, which for decades now we've happily undertaken environmental uh, work there but also ultimately had um, significant exploration. 
So the drilling of a well isn't necessarily going to cause enormous problems in terms of marine life. Obviously we don't want to have that taking place anywhere near our sanctuary because of the seismic testing that's undertaken, but a lot further out, uh, I don't see that as presenting a major problem. Sir Mark Solomon, who is the Kai Whakahaere, or chairperson of Te Runanga o Naitahu, the tribal council of Naitahu, says the reserve is the result of years of hard-fought negotiations. A brilliant result. We couldn't have asked for better. Some of them that are out there on the protest were actually part of this process. So I think when they see what's been accepted, they will be, they'll be quite proud. But the Green Party's Ocean spokesperson, Gareth Hughes, says this latest announcement by the government is nothing more than a ploy to impress the voters. Oh, it's election year. I think National was very weak on the environment because of their track record. So now they're belatedly trying to make up for it with a coat of greenwash and announcing a few small, fragmented marine reserves, uh, particularly in areas where people can't go, like the Subantarctic Islands or the Hikarangi Trench off the Kaikoura coast. Uh, it's an easy way they can get a few headlines. But I think New Zealanders know when they look at the track record, National isn't a champion for the marine environment. And in fact, when you look at, say, this latest reserve, the oil blocks offered last year were 4,000 times larger. They're allowing seismic surveying and whale grounds. They're not acting on the scientists' advice to protect the Maui's dolphin or the New Zealand sea lion, critically endangered species. So I think the public can still see through the election year politics. He says a bigger push is needed to really make a difference. Instead of just these small, isolated marine reserves, what the science says is works best is a sort of larger ecosystem-sized marine reserves. And that's why I'm pushing very hard for the world's largest marine reserve around the Kermadex Island, which would overnight take us to 15% of our waters protected, much more than the less than half of 1% we currently have. Labour's conservation spokesperson Ruth Dyson believes an element of political spin is being employed by the government. I don't agree that the minister should misrepresent the progress that's being made, as he has, this year will be a record year in terms of the space of marine reserves that have been authorised. That's not true. Uh, it won't reach the number in 2005. I think it's a good competition to have. Let's see which party um, can be in government and uh, create more marine reserves. It's good that we're all having the same sort of competition, but, but he's misrepresenting the facts of the matter. Forest and Bird argue the amount of ocean set aside for conservation in New Zealand is dwarfed by that dedicated to oil and gas exploration. The Society says the sell-off of deep-sea rights underlines the fact that more than 99% of New Zealand's exclusive economic zone is open for development by the fossil fuels industry, with only a tiny fraction fully protected with full marine reserve status. But the Minister of Conservation, Nick Smith, denies that's contradictory. I think it's absolutely consistent for the government to say that just for the terrestrial environment we are going to use parts of our land area for, for, for their economy, for forestry, for farming, uh, for urban communities, for industry, and we're also going to have areas of our land that are set aside in national parks and permanently reserved. In my view, exactly the parallel applies in the ocean environment. Now I hear from people that they do not want to have any economic activity occurring in the marine environment, whether it be petroleum, whether it be minerals, whether it be fishing, who are in my view are as extreme as those who equally argue from the industry side that they are opposed to any marine reserves because there is the loss of some economic opportunities. The key here is balance. We've had to find a balance over the last century on the land environment 
Equally so, we need to have a sophisticated view of balance around economic opportunities as well as protection in the marine environment. Elsewhere, five new marine reserves on the west coast of the South Island passed a major hurdle last month. The sites at Kahurangi, Punakaiki, Okarito, Toparikaka and Hotai have been given the seal of approval from the Minister for Primary Industries, meaning they have overcome most of the major logistical hurdles. The new sites will benefit marine mammals such as the Hector's dolphin and the New Zealand fur seal, as well as protecting seabirds like the Westland petrel, white-fronted terns and both blue and fjordland-crested penguins. Another marine reserve which has spawned more than 20 years of debate is in Akaroa, which the minister says he hopes to push through to the next stage later this year. Plans are now afoot to tackle the marine environment of the Otago coast. The Otago Coastal Forum has been set up to look into possible sites and management, and it is due to report back to the Conservation Minister next year. The Yellow-Eyed Penguin Trust, which is based in Otago, is heavily involved in this process and has long campaigned for more marine protection. But its field manager, David McFarlane, says they're not interested in small token gestures for Otago. He wants to see something on the scale of Kaikoura's, if not bigger. To be honest, it may have advocacy value, but in terms of real biodiversity conservation value, I think they would be very limited indeed. For marine reserves to be significant and make a significant difference to marine biodiversity, they must be large. So the marine reserve at Kaikoura that was announced is about 10,000 hectares, and that's the kind of size, I think, that we need to be looking at for, for new marine reserves on the Otago coast. New research released earlier this year analysed the effects of three marine reserves at the top of the South Island, Tonga Island within Abel Tasman National Park, Horoerangi in Nelson, and Long Island in the Marlborough Sounds. It showed that 20 years after the Tonga Island Reserve was created, there are more than seven times as many crayfish and 40 times as many blue cod over 30 centimetres. At Horoerangi, created just eight years ago, crayfish are already three and a half times more abundant. The reports were produced for the Department of Conservation by Nelson firm Davidson Environmental. Its owner, Rob Davidson, says there's no question in his mind how successful marine reserves can be. Reserves work spectacularly well. And uh, without reserves, uh, you don't get the opportunity to uh, just understand how abundant those species were before we, we started to um, extract them. The good thing about the reserves uh, from a fishing point of view is that the reproductive output from those areas is enormous and uh, benefits the wider area. Tonga Island Marine Reserve is approximately 12 kilometres long and has a reproductive output equivalent to about 120 kilometres of non-reserve coast. So it's quite a spectacular difference in terms of the egg production. The Minister of Conservation, Nick Smith, says Mr Davidson's reports provide irrefutable evidence of the success of marine reserves. Dr Smith says he truly believes New Zealand can be a pioneer for worldwide marine conservation. New Zealand, in the terrestrial environment, is internationally recognised as actually being really smart and at the forefront of good management. But what we are doing in the ocean environment is, is almost a century behind the conservation arguments on land. That's why I talk about oceans being the new frontier for conservation. The part few people appreciate is if you take those species that are unique and only exist in New Zealand 
the big focus is kiwi, kakapo, tuatara, all of those species. Yet 80% of what is unique to New Zealand is actually out in the ocean environment. What I would want to see over a span of 20 or 30 years is a network of marine protected areas that ensures that in every one of the habitats that exist within our waters, from the very deep black smokers that exist within the Hikarangi Trench up near the Kermadec Islands, down to the coastal you know, shallows of our estuarine systems, that we have a network of marine reserves that have all of those different habitats, having a viable reserve. What I mean by viable is large enough that you can genuinely protect in their natural state the species that are there. The most vocal opponents of marine reserves over the past few decades have been both commercial and recreational fishers due to the restrictions the reserves place on their potential catch. The New Zealand Recreational Fishing Council believes marine reserves are often confused as being a fisheries management tool. Its president, Jeff Rowling, believes there is a way of protecting the marine environment which serves everyone's interests, but there needs to be a more collaborative approach taken when setting up the reserves in the first place. I've been involved in marine reserve processes various different times, and after, even after years of discussions, what tends to happen is the groups, at the, as it comes to a point, they revert to their corners and put on their gloves and they come out fighting. And that goes for, the, for industry, uh, recreational and conservation. They're, they're e equally to blame for bad outcomes. However, the abundance of fish which is gradually built up within the reserves can create a spillover, which boosts catch numbers in the water just outside the boundaries. This essentially turns the area all around marine reserves into prime fishing ground, popular with both recreational fishers and divers due to the abundance of marine life. But every marine reserve which is created also adds more restrictions to commercial fishing, one of New Zealand's key primary industries. The new proposed reserve for Kaikoura, for example, will cost the fishing industry about $1.1 million a year. The Conservation Minister insists this issue was considered at length, but the advantages the Marine Reserve will give Kaikoura's multi-million dollar tourism industry outweighed this loss. But the Chief Executive of the Southern Inshore Fisheries Management Company and Committee Member of the New Zealand Federation of Commercial Fishermen, Carol Scott, questions whether this potential loss of income is a step too far. It is an awful lot of money and I think we need to sort of look at, I suppose, the area itself and really, with, given the, the size of the reserve, is it manageable? And, and really weigh up the cost-benefit of actually putting that in against um, other users of the area. I know there's a big tourism value and before the decision is made, I think it needs to actually, we have to make sure that it, nobody really loses out. Certainly there's, it's a um, fantastic canyon but um, let's make sure that the closure is there for the right principles. She says while she believes marine reserves have their place, conservationists need to remember people's livelihoods are on the line. We've seen that with other closures, even with um, a setna closure for butterfish in the top of the sounds. Um, we advocated that there's certain areas there needed to be kept so that you, you know, the local community fishermen that rely on that fishery, very small fishery, could still maintain their livelihoods. And those sorts of things, you know, like I say, it's a scale thing, but at the same time, it's, it's 
from a, um, a community up to, you know, a company that supports quite a lot of jobs in the community. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot to look at before a decision is made. But the Environmental Defence Society's policy director, Raywin Peart, believes it's time to protect the marine environment for future generations. I would like to see us engaging our young New Zealanders in those areas so they can really see what is possible. I would like to see us leaving a legacy for future generations. Most of the impact on our marine area, in fact, has happened during our, uh, my lifetime in the last uh, 50 years. Many of us, uh, baby boomers, can remember what the marine area was like 50 years ago. It was abundant with life, all kinds of fish that you would see commonly, shoals of fish. I really want my daughter, our children, our future generations to be able to experience that. And so I think it's up to our generation to really be leaving that legacy for the future. She says the Environmental Defence Society wants to see marine reserves used in conjunction with increased education in the marine environment in schools. Back on Rakuyura Stewart Island, pupils at Half Moon Bay Primary School say they're getting the benefit of living on the doorstep of a marine reserve. Sophie Connor, who's 12, says she's seen firsthand what it's like. Because it's a marine reserve, you can't take anything, not even stuff off the beaches. You have to leave it there. Do you think that's a good idea? Yeah, and because my dad, he had a goggle box we put it in the water and you look down into it and so you can see all the fish and we saw quite a few blue cod and starfish and a couple of carpet sharks it was really cool her year eight classmate marley wright thinks living so close to a marine reserve is giving them a huge advantage over children in other parts of new zealand every now and then we'll do a beach cleanup, like we've done one around at um, the Glory Bay which is where our salmon farm is and we've also done one around um, Bathing Beach which is just over the hill. Also we sometimes go out on like school trips where we um, go out on like boats or go for a nature walk or go to Alba Island. Yeah we do a lot. We probably know a lot more than what other kids in town do because just because we've been brought up in this you know in this place. In 2000 the Department of Conservation started a review of the act resulting in a draft marine reserves bill which was first introduced into Parliament in June 2002. One of the key purposes of this was to try to make the creation and management of marine reserves quicker and easier but nearly 12 years later it still hasn't been voted on. The New Zealand Recreational Fishing Council's president, Jeff Rowling, says this delay is only creating more problems. The last time there was a serious attempt at it, Maori stepped in and vetoed any change. They have quite significant property rights and fisheries. Discussion needs to take place and we do need to change the way things are done. It's lack of political will. But the Minister of Conservation disputes this. I'm not interested in doing a second best job. We should take the time, we should do it properly. And that's the work that has been very effectively worked on by both my Department of Conservation officials and the Ministry of Primary Industries. And I'm hopeful of being able to be a, make a substantive announcement this year on a far more substantive reform proposal. So it's something we could be seeing within the next year or two, hopefully. And my, my objective is to try and get there this year. But when you're trying to resolve... Um, policy issues within government, you're a very brave person to put a tight timetable on it. It's unclear when the current legislation will be updated, but what is clear is that all interested parties want the process of creating marine reserves to be more straightforward and faster, and the end product to be effective and well-balanced marine management.
I'm Alison Hossein and that's Insight for this week. If you would like to contact us, you can send an email to insight at radionz.co.nz or send us a tweet at rnz underscore insight. I wrote and presented that programme. It was produced by Philippa Tolley with technical production by Chris Keogh.